You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 143 and 144 of Read Through the Bible in a Year program. We are in the middle of experiencing the oral tradition, the passing down of the story through simply talking about it, mm-hmm. taking it seriously, exploring every little nook and cranny as we go, the same way we do with all of our countless hours of Netflix. Yeah! Yeah. It's a free plug <laughs> for Netflix. So, where are we? I just took a sip of coffee, but let's give our theme music here. All right. Our Old Testament reading for today is 1 Samuel chapters 13 through 15. Saul is making so many awful decisions. We're just at the cusp of all of his awful decisions. Oh, I just wanted to go over the awesome intro to chapter 13. That I needed a serious blues that break, break oh down. I see yeah, I see yeah go ahead. yeah but the amazing beginning to chapter thirteen yes which I've never noticed before Saul was blank years old and he began to when he began to reign and he reigned blank in two years over Israel yeah the blanks <laughs> are spectacular very <clears throat> rarely found remember we're we're talking about an ancient document mm-hmm. and I think we forget that because the Bible is so uh, available to us yeah. But uh, what most historians, at least what I found, was that the, they kind of left out. It's just a little bit nebulous for how long he reigned or mm-hmm. how old he was. Now, we know certain things. Uh, most think it's at least 20 years, but I don't care about that. What I care about is why, and it's because the recorders of all this are kind of mad. They're like, who cares? I mean, we want to slight this guy. Mm-hmm. Our first king really was a dud. He led us into a lot of trouble. So he reigned for uh, whatever years. <laughs> Here's what he did. Um, I think that. I don't know if you agree with that or you think that's, that's I, I pushing think that's, it. I think it's fine. Um, I do want to say, though, it between chapter 12 and 13, yeah. it's probably been roughly around 20 years because uh, now Jonathan is growing up and old enough to fight in battle. So that means Jonathan's 20 years old at this point. So... Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so Samuel has, they've just had a great victory. And now, what's going on? I mean, it looks like he's getting three, Saul got, has 3,000 men. Yeah, and he's going up against the Philistines because the Philistines are like the constant plague. They are on the westernmost side of the promised land uh, along the Great Sea. And they are just kind of raiding and and like they have towns and strongholds set up all throughout uh, the Promised Land. So the Philistines have thirty thousand chariots uh, and six thousand horsemen, according to verse five. Yeah. <laughs> so thirty-six thousand warriors. Those are just six thousand on horse, thirty thousand on chariots, mm-hmm. compared to the three thousand. Three thousand. Uh, who, by the way, don't have. They aren't on horses. Uh, they aren't on chariots, and. We think many of them didn't even have swords. Yeah, as far as we know, Saul and uh, Jonathan were the only two that had proper swords because the Philistines at this point in history had basically kept all of Israel from collecting or amassing weapons. 
and to the point that they like killed any blacksmiths that Israel yeah. had, and for Israel to even sharpen their like normal tools, they had to go to Philistine blacksmiths and that's to from, get their tools sharpened. And that information is gotten from chapter thirteen, verse nineteen through twenty-one. Mm-hmm. We learn that. So this is all to explain why Saul is freaking out. Yeah, thirty-six thousand against uh, three thousand, and so they gather at Gilgal, and Samuel had told him, "Gather at Gilgal, wait for me for seven days. I'll show up. We'll do a sacrifice to the Lord, and then you'll go, and God will give you victory." Mm-hmm. And so they're waiting, and as the days are going, Saul is watching his men abandon him. Right, everyone's each scared day. every day, and there's nothing to distract them. I mean, <clears> they are literally. Th- looking at the countless opposition. Yeah. Getting scared. And so by the seventh day... Samuel does not arrive. Samuel's not there yet, and Saul says, I'll do the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So he starts doing the sacrifice. Now, if you've been with us, you should know that it's very clear over and over again in uh, the Levitical code, Mm -hmm. in God's law, that priests do the sacrifice. Right. Like... You're just not, you're not allowed to do it mm-hmm. unless you are an ordained, set-apart, appointed, anointed priest. Yes. Saul should have known better. He didn't. But one of the reasons uh, you find out he is freaking out is because um, his 3,000 have diminished down to about 600. <laughs> so this is Saul needing to solve his own problem mm-hmm. and doing whatever he has to do. The problem is, as soon as he does that sacrifice, breaking God's law as the leader and the representative of God's people, Samuel shows up and says, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord. And for that reason, you're, you will no longer be established. Your kingdom will not be established over Israel forever. Mm-hmm. And, and your kingdom won't continue. And so... As of that moment, the Lord started seeking out. And this is what Saul, or Samuel said. He, the Lord has started to seek out a man after his own heart. Right. So the devastating punch right there from Samuel <clears throat> happens at this moment. Yeah. But there's still like a lot of wiggle room and grace, it seems, because a lot more transpires. So he hears that. He gets his 600 people. And now they're all, he only has 600 men left to fight. And yeah. they're all hiding. And so they go from Gilgal, which, again, is, like, right by the Jordan, and he moves back, takes his guys to Gibeah, which is Saul's hometown, and they're just, like, hiding in the mountains, in the hills around Gibeah, in caves and stuff, uh, afraid that the Philistine army is just going to come in and wipe them out. And uh, the Philistines even start sending out uh, raiders, like, three massive companies of raiders to just raid the land, and, again, mocking... Saul and his power because a king, one of the big things the king is supposed to do is to protect his citizens. Right. And uh, now he can't. He's hiding from... Well, he's hiding. And then in chapter 14, everything always points to the humiliation of Saul. Mm -hmm. Now his son, Jonathan, ends up being more of a warrior and more brave than his mighty father, Saul. And actually trusts the Lord. Yeah, and trusts the Lord. So... Chapter 14 is this great scene where Jonathan, Saul's son, just says, you know what? I'm tired of sitting here. He takes his armor bearer. Mm -hmm. I like to imagine this is me and you, Matt. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be Jonathan, and you be the armor armor bearer. And I say, Matt, let's just get out of here and do this ourselves. So they go out. 
they hide, they, they're listening, and uh, eventually Jonathan just says, if they call us up to, if they call us up and say, hey, you two, come here, that mm-hmm. means the Lord's with us, and if they say, we're coming down to you, don't move, that Lord's against us. Mm-hmm. But we're calling out to the Lord, so we, he's a man of faith, but he's also brave, and so let's see what happens. So, of course, the men of the Philistines say, hey, come up here. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer, and his armor bearer basically is like you saying, do whatever's in your heart. Mm-hmm. I got your back. Yeah, so I do want to say, like, they are climbing up, like, a, a mountain, like a little mountain crag. Like, they're climbing up this yeah. crag to get up as the Philistines are, like, standing there watching them climb up. So they climb up this, and then they just go to town. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he says, you know, um, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for mm-hmm. nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Mm-hmm. So that's the key. And that's and then the armor bearer is like, dude, I'm with you. As they're climbing, practically, they're out of breath. The armor bearer is like, man, do as you wish. I am with you, heart and soul. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's just even from 3,000 down to two, yeah. The Lord is going to be with, he says, I want to be with you. And if yeah. he's with you, it's by many or by few. And as few as one mm-hmm. or two, mm-hmm. let me do, let, invite me into your life. Let me walk with you and be with you. So that's what they do. And of course, uh, what is it? Jonathan is our bearer. They, I think they kill 20. Yeah, they just kill 20 guys. But yeah. by the time they get up there and they just start killing tw- guys, they kill 20 of them. And at this point, the whole army goes into a panic <laughs> and okay yeah. and the earth become like starts quaking and there's like everyone's freaking out and they start attacking each other and this is a very familiar story at this point mm-hmm. this is a very familiar tactic from god where he will just turn an army against itself right and the confusion i think we talked about the other day too where it's like we see this in culture where mm-hmm. you're in today, you're out tomorrow, and we turn on each other what we liked last season, we don't like now. Yeah. And it, God is in charge of all that. Like, God gives Jonathan and Saul, or Jonathan as armor bearer, this victory. The Philistines start kind of killing themselves yeah, and just panicked. Saul, meantime, in the meantime, is like, maybe we should... Um, well, okay, so there's this all of a sudden commotion going up on this right. hill... And they're, like, underneath it. Saul and the rest of the men are kind of underneath there, and they notice something's going on. So Saul immediately is like, who's not with us? Someone went up there. Right. And so they, they count, and they realize Jonathan and his armor bearer's not there. So then Saul's trying to figure out what to do. So he has a priest with him, and he says, bring the ark or the ephod. We're not sure which one. Um, and he says, bring, mine says, bring the ark of God here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but, it could have been the ark of the covenant or the ephod. So, okay. Uh, and uh, they, they br- the priest brings it, and he's going to ask the Lord what they should do. And then the panic is growing more and more up on the hill. And so Saul's like, withdraw your hand. I don't need to know what God says. I'm just going, and I'm going to join the army before... I'm going to join this fight before like all the glory is taken away from me. <laughs> and interrupting <clears throat> a priestly activity like that really is unprecedented and unthinkable. Mm-hmm. That really is the key verse. Like, you kind of miss it. If you read it too fast, you'll miss it. Mm -hmm. But Saul asked the priest, take your hand off. I can't wait. Um, If I wait for the Lord's directive, I might lose this. We have our opportunity now. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just straight up to the ark or the ephod or whatever with the priest says, eh, like in the middle of a prayer. Like, I'm going to be praying for your healing. You're like, 
uh, I just heard the uh, the popsicle guy drive by, and I really want a popsicle. Mm-hmm. Or the medicine guy drive by. So he's completely taking it in his own hands. Yes. This is Saul's biggest downfall, and actually, this is all of our downfall. Um, and so then. So then there was even like uh, <laughs> Hebrews who had been with the Philistines, who had sided with the Philistines and joined the Philistine army. And during all this confusion, they decide to turn against the Philistines and work for Saul and the Israelites. And, and they have like this amazing victory. And right. they put the Philistines uh, to flight. And now they're chasing the Philistines. And so things have changed and, and things are going well. And Saul knows that his son is the one who is up there. Mm-hmm. But as it turns, for in their favor, Saul makes some kind of rash vow. A lot like who is that? Who is that judge? Jep- Jephthah. Yeah, Jephthah. Jephthah, who made the vow, the first person he sees. Yeah, first thing to come out sacrifice. of my house, I'll sacrifice to the Lord. And yeah. it was his daughter. Well, Saul does the similar thing. Saul has all the bad characteristics of the bad judges. Yes. Like he's and so now he's making a rash vow, and his vow is, uh, we have so much momentum. Just keep killing, keep killing, mm-hmm. and don't eat. Yeah, he and says, don't... curse be a man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. Like, so if, if, you, if you eat before we're done fighting, you're cursed. Right. Of course, uh, Jonathan doesn't hear this. Yeah, Jonathan's not around because he's too busy trusting the Lord and fighting this battle for God. <laughs> right, and, and so <clears throat> he says... Um, so they're chasing, and they run through this forest, and there's just honey all over the ground. And Jonathan is going, like, man, we're tired. I'm tired. Uh, we should be eating. What are we doing? And so and he just eats a little bit of the honey, and he's like, feels refreshed and rejuvenated and ready to are, go. His eyes are bright. And it's the land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. So then um, when, when do all the people basically... Well, so at, at this point, like, he eats it, and he's, like, trying to get everyone else yeah. to eat. And they're like, uh, dude, your dad made an oath. Like, he cursed anyone who would eat today. And Jonathan gets really mad. And he's like, my father's troubled the land. Yeah. Like, see how my eyes have become bright because I've tasted this little honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today yeah. of the spoil of their enemies? For now, the defeat among the Philistines has been not great. It's like Saul doesn't know. It's like he's an alien. He's an alien trying to act human. Yeah. He's... Trying to act well, spiritual, he just doesn't. He has access to all the spiritual things. He does not know how to use them. It's almost the opposite of what's going to happen. David and Goliath, like David, doesn't mm-hmm. fit into yeah. Saul's armor and says, "This doesn't work for me." Saul does not fit into the spiritual armor, and he, but yet he uses things like fasting or vows mm-hmm. or sacrifices. Like, what are you doing, man? I You're, think it's his insecurity. Yeah, he's because, so insecure and awkward. Because he's been hiding this whole time, and his son... He's been hiding from the beginning, too. His, his son, yeah, seriously. Right. And the, the baggage yeah, and all and that the, stuff. in the cliffs. And the, yeah. And it takes his son and his armor bearer to put 36,000 Philistines to flight. Right. And so now, I think he's just like, I gotta show everyone... That, that I'm the leader. That, that this is mine, victory. Because now his people, who's trying to show off, they're going, no, you can't kill Jonathan. He's like, Oh, okay, so you're, you're jumping, oh, jumping am, the shark I am, here. I am, okay, sorry. Uh, so. Because Jonathan is a man. I love, Jonathan's so cool. Jonathan's awesome. You can be Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, I think you're kind of like him. I think if I made a rash vow, <laughs> you would say, because. Uh, 
No, I'm definitely Jonathan, and you're definitely like David. Okay, all right, cool. Best best friends? Yeah, best friends. Biblical style. Yeah. Uh, And so... I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff. So now, yeah, so, okay, so before we even get to, like, Saul figuring out what's going on, they they get to evening, they get to the end, the Philistines are basically done, and now the people are so hungry, the warriors are so starved, that they just start killing whatever animals they found or stolen from the Philistines and start eating it without properly draining it of blood, which, again, if you've been with us, you know that eating the blood of animals is a big no-no. Like, God is like, you don't do that because there's a lot of ritual stuff that was going in on that and all that stuff. And uh, and so then then some of the leaders are like, "Uh, Saul, what have you done? Like, you've starved everyone to the point that now they're... Eating unclean things and they're breaking the law of God. Right. And like we need to do something about this. So then Saul makes up this like makeshift altar and he's like, All right, have everyone come up here and we'll drain the blood on this stone and we'll eat properly. And it's the first altar Saul builds to the Lord. And so if you're thinking this is probably at least year twenty into Saul's at reign. At least, yeah. Maybe this is 40. the very first and I think only altar that and he doesn't Saul even builds. Build it to the Lord. He builds it to fix his, his mis- own mistake. His mistake for the soldiers mm-hmm. who he's led into breaking God's law. It's so confusing mm-hmm. and gross. That's when it's okay. like time to kill Jonathan. Well, no, no. Nope. Have yeah, I know. Oh, I forgot about all this. So, yeah. So Saul is like, okay, let us go down after the Philistines by night. So he's like. They, he gives them, like, a moment's rest. They eat, and he, he's still not willing to let them sleep. He's like, let's just keep going. Like, we got to beat him. Because he thinks it's his own strength. And <clears> when throat> your throat> own strength, they might run out. And so they're all like, do whatever seems good to you. But then the priest is like, hey, let's ask God what we're supposed to do. And Saul finally is like, okay, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But God doesn't answer. Right. And Saul said, all right, something's happened. God's not answering us. Someone sinned in this camp. So, you know what? I'm going to find out. Someone probably ate before I told them not to eat. So we're going to divide all the men, all the soldiers are going to be on one side. Me and my son Jonathan are going to be on the other side. We're going to find out where the sin lies. And so they do the uh, Ermin and Thurman. Yeah. Umin and Thurman. Thumin. Thumin and Ermin. Yeah, there it is. Yep. Uh, and they cast the lots and the lots fall on Saul and Jonathan's side and then it falls on Jonathan and he finds out oh Jonathan what happened and Jonathan just steps up uh, I taste he a little with the tip of the staff that was in my hand here I am I will die mm-hmm. wow Get, why don't you tell us how you really feel Jonathan <laughs> Jonathan John's so cool I, this guy is so cool he, you're definitely Jonathan yeah. I can see you doing that he's just like Okay. There goes Matt. Just like, all right, it's me. Here's what I did. I will die. <laughs> and Saul's like, no, God, do so to me and more also. Uh, no, he's You like, shall surely die, Jonathan. Yeah, right. he's like ready to kill his own son. He's, he's like, he's so mad. I think he's also kind of like. He's actually happy. Cause, probably happy. Because people are going to worship Jonathan. They're yeah. going to be like, that guy's a warrior. You're yeah. becoming old. And But this is what happens is everyone, it like, 
they fight for him. Fight for, they fight for Jonathan. They confront Saul, and they're like, you cannot kill Jonathan. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but this is not the first time where people have contradicted Saul. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it just happens. Like, it's happening all the time where he says something, and people are like, no, and he follows them. Yeah. Even his first day where it's like, we should kill the people who are detractors. And he says, no, let's not. And he's contradicting them. Yeah. But then the rest of his whole time in office is so insecure about people who are detractors mm-hmm. and he's willing to kill them. Well, they, con- they convince Saul not to kill Jonathan. Yeah. Which seems very weird that they even have to do that. But Saul, <laughs> I guess, he's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he stops, he actually stops pursuing the Philistines at this point. And the Philistines go to their, back to their original cities, and Saul goes back to his. And, uh, and then it just kind of gives, like, um, well, we, uh, gotta, we gotta get going to yeah. the, uh, what happens next. So then there's this kind of in-between time. But the Lord is not done kind of rejecting Saul. He said, Saul's I'm, not done rejecting the Lord. Yeah. And the Lord sent me... I mean, so Samuel basically says, I have to... I'm done with you. No, no, no. Not yet. Not yet? I know. Sam, I guess I've been reading ahead too much. Yeah. Um, so, and what happens in chapter 15? So, chapter 15, um, Samuel uh, shows up to Saul and is like, Hey, the Lord had me anoint you over king over the people, and so, therefore, you got to do what the Lord says. The Lord has not forgotten the sins of Amalek. Amalek was the first people that came up, up against Israel when they escaped Egypt. Right. When they left Egypt, Amalek was the first people that were just straight up attacked Israel. And since then, there's been enmity between the people of Amalek and the people of Israel. And so the Lord's like, I'm not, I haven't forgotten that. I need you to go and destroy everything that Amalek has. All the people, all their stuff, everything, leave nothing left, destroy it all. And this is where, though, he says, look, I've, you're supposed to listen to the word of God mm-hmm. as king of Israel. Yep. So here's another chance for you to, to repent. Mm-hmm. If you listen to me, we could turn this tide. Even mm-hmm. though I've rejected you for not waiting and doing the suck, I've forgiven you. God is forgiving. God is giving chances. But what happens this time is God gives victory, right? Well, yeah, so... It's interesting, so he could barely summon, like, he got, like, 3,000 guys together and couldn't even keep them together in the previous big Vic battle, but now he gets, like, 210,000 men right. to go up against Amalek, and they go... You know what that tells me? They re- People probably can really get together about their hatred towards Amalek. Yeah. Like, they understand that enemy. Philistine's a little too close to home, I think. Yeah, that or uh, Saul has really, um, like, he's more of a king at this point. Okay, and he's made He's more established at this point. And so, but yeah, there's probably also is this deep enmity enmity towards Amalek. And uh, they go up against the Amalekites, and they destroy them, but they don't destroy everything. They keep the king alive, and, and, and then anything they think that looks good, they just keep it. And they're like, all right, we're going to keep this for ourselves. This looks great. And they don't do what they're supposed to do. And so the word of the Lord comes to Samuel, and God says something that's pretty 
Amazing. He says, I regret. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me, has not performed my commandments. Yeah, I mean, he made it clear, devote the whole place to destruction, and instead he kept the best things. When confronted, it's, well, the people thought we could give it to you. Yeah, so Samuel is angry, and he marches out to meet Saul, and and Saul comes out and meets him. He's like, oh, blessed be, be you to the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done everything you've asked of me. Right. Blessed be you. And he's like, again, he's using the language and trying to use the things of God, but again, he has no concept of what he's supposed to be doing or how to use them appropriately. And Samuel's like, uh, you've kept the commandment? He's like, why do I hear bleeding? Why do I hear sheep? Why do I hear the ah in the background? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to keep the best for a sacrifice. To God. Yeah. To your God. To your God. So you, we thought you'd be happy. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not happy. In fact, um, you've broken the commandments of God. Yeah. And he says, uh, though you are little in your own eyes, which is amazing, because the very... One of the first things, this is like hearkening back to the first conversation yeah. Saul and Samuel had, where Saul says to Samuel, I'm the smallest of the clans of the tribes of Israel. And, which is probably true, because of how small Benjamin was probably at that point. But he's hearkening back, and it's also hitting his deep insecurity that he clearly has. It, yeah. And, and do you know, Samuel, <clears throat> the other thing is, before we get into what Samuel says... He cried out to the Lord all night. Like, Samuel is so hurt because, you know, he feels responsible for choosing this guy, but Mm -hmm. he did it with the Lord. And and so the Lord, uh, when Samuel starts giving these answers, he does say, stop, I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. Mm -hmm. And this is where he says, though you are little in your eyes. I just had to get that for myself. Yeah. Um, But are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you as king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why did you not obey? And then Saul tries to justify. He tries I to know. say, I did obey. I did the thing. I went out. I, and I look, I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. He does the worst thing you can do as a king. He, when he says in verse 21, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. I the mean, people, like, as king, he is the people. <coughs> and so even if they do it, it's his fault they did that. Well, it's, I, it's hearkening back again to Adam and Eve. Yes, you gave me, well, it's kind of your fault, God, you gave me this woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's kind of your fault, God, you gave me these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bad. And that's why you get this classic, like, line from Samuel where he goes, look, the Lord is, uh, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. He wants our hearts mm-hmm. and he loves, but don't get us wrong. He's asked for the sacrifices. He's asked for those things. So Samuel's not saying those are bad. He's just saying you obey the voice of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then when you, uh, rebellion is the sin, is as the sin of divination. Like, mm-hmm. your rebellion is trying to figure out the future. Yeah. And your presumption is like idolatry. You're mm-hmm. presuming to know how to manipulate things. You're using, your rebellion is to test things out for yourself, and you've rejected the word of the Lord. 
And so, therefore, he has rejected you from being king. Now, this is where Saul yeah. turns. Right. It seems like he turns. Well, like, he, he breaks a little bit because now his authority and his power is being threatened. Right. And, uh, and so now he's like, oh, I've sinned. I've transgressed uh, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He's like, pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel's like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere with you. I'm not going back with you. We're not doing that. So Samuel cuts off from him now. Yeah. Like, I'm no longer your prophet. You're not the king. And so he turns to leave him, and Saul leaps after him and like grabs onto his robe and tears a piece of his robe. And Samuel turns back, and he's like, just as you've torn that robe, the Lord's torn the kingdom of Israel from you. Boom. It's, it is finished. That's it. Um, and, and then again, the thing here is Saul's constantly acting like a political leader. And so he's, he's admitting, he's saying I've sinned, but he's like, but just come back with me so that the elders think everything's cool. Like, I need you to come back with me. So I have your religious support. Like I need that. And, uh, Samuel actually does go back with him for that. And it's like, fine, because he's still the king at this point, and he goes back with him. But we've just kind of seen, oh, yeah, and then it ends with Samuel uh, going, okay, where's Agag, the king that you oh. refused to kill? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I need you to bring him to me. And so they grab Agag, and Agag's kind of like, all right. I think I'm good. Like, I've made it this long. I'm going in front of the priest. Well, he says, yeah, oh, surely the bitterness of death is past. Uh-huh. And Samuel goes, as the sword has made women childless, so your mother be childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Um, uh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> is stronger than Saul. <laughs> yeah, so... So, and this, yeah. And then Samuel goes back to his hometown, and Saul goes back to his hometown, and Samuel and Saul did not see each other again. And Samuel really uh, grieves over this, yeah. It's not, he's not happy to see Saul fail. Mm -mm. He knew, though, at the beginning, you don't want a king. But, so the life of the prophet is often a sad one. It's a lot of story. I like it. Yeah, it's intense. We should get into our New Testament reading, right? Mm -hmm. Our New Testament reading for today is John chapter 13 through 14. John chapter 13, one of, uh, I always, I feel like I say this every day, one of my favorites, whatever I'm reading today is my favorite. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. The more you read it, the more favorite the whole thing becomes. Um, Foot washing, let's just get through, let's just say what it is. Jesus is preparing for the feast, the Passover feast. Mm -hmm. Um, All of his disciples, they secure a room, they secure the food. We've talked about this with the other gospels. And um, no one secures a servant who will act as just a normal kind of courtesy. Someone should be there to wash the feet of people coming in. Mm-hmm. No one is. 
And um, Jesus says, I'll do it. Yeah. And uh, again, we get the classic Peter's like, uh, you are not ever going to wash my feet. But Jesus is like, if I, you do, if I do not wash with you, uh, you have no share with me. And so then Peter's like, then wash my hands and my head as well. Right. And he's like, no, no, you've already bathed. You're clean. You just... You just have your feet are dirty. Right. And I just need to clean your feet. And it's really cool because in light of all the cleanliness and uncleanliness mm-hmm. throughout the scripture, Jesus assures us that I believe, I look to our baptism. Man, yeah. we were cleaned at our baptism. Mm-hmm. We were bathed in the death and resurrection of Christ. And now we have daily sins. We just have daily stuff we pick up, stuff we know, stuff we don't know. And we simply say, Jesus, cleanse me. Clean my feet. Can you clean my feet? And he does, and you're able to go into the presence of God anytime, anywhere, mm-hmm. fully clean. Yeah. Because Christ is there on his hands and knees washing your feet. And, and the thing that Jesus keeps saying is, a servant is not greater than a master, or the messenger is not greater than the, the speaker, or the sender, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He says, this is an example. This is how we're loving each other. Um, now, on one, one level, it's like, oh love each other by being willing to do the most menial task for someone. No matter how great you are, do that menial task because you love this person. Um, But on another level, it's forgiving one another. Yeah, another level, it's uh, here's the example of complete forgiveness and acceptance Mm -hmm. before God. Yeah. And that you're forgiven and you're able to forgive others and they're able to be forgiven. Yeah. And so he, that's why he's saying, um, do this. This is the greatest commandment. Love one another. Yeah. A new commandment I give to you, love to love one another as I have loved you. Uh, yeah. And then within this, he does give some... Uh, I think within this account, he gives more allusions to the fact that he knows Judas is yeah. <clears throat> planning against him because he drops things like, not all of you are clean... Um, and then he also says, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And so it is interesting. He peppers in like all these allusions to, uh, I know Judas is about to, what he's about to do. And And I think you can tell when someone's heart turns against you and, you know, you don't have to be a magician or anything to know when someone's kind of tired of you and ready to turn on you. And so I think Jesus... Um, is saying, like, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, what you're going to do, do quickly. So it's like, I I believe at this point, Jesus is allowing, now it's at this moment, he's allowing Satan into Judas. Like, all right, this is what you want, Judas. Mm -hmm. I'm opening it up. Satan enters in. He's like, now do what you got to do quickly because you've already made a decision to start going in the direction away from me. Yeah. Uh. This is also one of the few scenes where we get the idea that John is very close to Jesus. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. It's okay. You've been a little sick, buddy. You yeah. can cough. Um, John is the beloved disciple, and mm-hmm. so he's reclining you know, at the feet of Jesus, and, and he's hearing especially Jesus' <coughs> idea of, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Mm-hmm. Then... He starts saying, um, you know, I'm going to go somewhere without you guys. And Peter's like, where are you going? Well, you can't follow Peter. And Peter's like, why not? Why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And you start to 
see the difference. Uh, <clears throat> Peter and Judas kind of are going to engage on similar tracks, and we've probably talked about this mm-hmm. in the other Gospels. But, you know, you can just see kind of the precocious, <laughs> like, I am with you all the way, Jesus. And that's when um, Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Devastating. Yeah, and I, I like, too, like, Peter is still missing the point. Yeah. That Jesus is going to lay his life down for him. Right. I think Peter do, does what we all do, and we think <clears throat> we need to be Jesus. We, need to, we say we need to be like Jesus. There's truth, like, yeah. kind of like you are how you, you're like your mom or your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things, but you don't need to mimic them. You don't need to be them. You're not to, them. Or take on their role. Right, or act exactly like them, but the good things that they've given you, yeah, you're under and you mm-hmm. carry. And so uh, I think Peter is still trying to, like, we need to be like Jesus. And whatever you're going to do, we'll do. Yeah. Because he has no or idea. Or I need to save you, Jesus. Yeah. Like, is really probably what he's thinking. Right. Which it wouldn't be the first time, because a lot of the disciples are saying, we shouldn't go down there, we shouldn't mm-hmm. do this, you're crazy. Yeah. And, uh, but that's why chapter 14 begins like 14, 15, 16, 17. It ends with this high priestly prayer. But in 14, that's all we'll do today. Mm-hmm. Let not your hearts be troubled. Um, I just love the way this starts. And I think like verse 1 through 7, you could probably memorize and it wouldn't hurt you. But believe also in me, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Mm-hmm. I go to prepare a place for you. So again, the promise of Jesus Christ is... I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then as you get down, he says, ask in my name and I will do it. Yep. Ask anything in my name. He says, you're not orphans. Yep. He, then he says, uh, oh, then I get into 15. Never mind, I'll, I'll stop there. No, okay. Does it go? Yeah, because I was thinking of going to the, uh, tr- the true vine is 15. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many wonderful things here about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The, the oneness and the unity of Christ with the Father. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Um, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works. Like he said this several times. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Mm-hmm. Greater works will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, uh, you know, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Yeah, he does keep repeating that because he knows the time's coming for him to die. Like, it's, it's over. His time with them is over. And he is kind of doing this, like, reassurance and kind of almost info dump. <laughs> but I imagine he's been telling them this the whole time. But he's like, look, I'm going to leave, but some, something else is coming. Well, you will... Yeah, I'm not leaving you as orphans. Yeah. I will leave you. I'll have to leave, but um, it says, a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because mm-hmm. I live, you also live. And so... He, he goes on about the, um, what the Holy Spirit's going to do, right? Yeah, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Yeah. I do not <clears throat> give as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You know, so basically Jesus is saying, they can't understand it yet, but my human nature, my time, I entered, infinite God entered finite humanity as Jesus yeah. to accomplish the mission of defeating death. 
he's getting ready to defeat death in his death and then resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's why he's like, I'm going to go away. You're going to be sad. And he's preparing us and his disciples. You're going to feel like orphans. You're going to see things that other people don't see. You're going to hear things that people don't hear. You're going to get it, and they're not. But I want you to know I'm with you. And the reason I've left is because I'm leaving you, not as orphans, but with my spirit. Mm -hmm. And now the spirit, the Holy Spirit, is Jesus Christ becomes divine after his resurrection. His resurrection, his ascension, is fully divine Jesus now. Mm -hmm. He's still in his human body in heaven, but he's fully acting in his divine nature. Mm -hmm. Part of that is then, because he's in his divine nature, he can be with all of us at all times. Mm Mm-hmm not in a single location. So he's with us all whenever we want, not on a mountain, but by faith with Jesus Christ because his spirit has been sent to us. Mm -hmm. So we're not orphans. We're not friendless. And he will give us all things that we need to hear, that we need to say in times of, uh, of persecution. He's not leaving us alone. Right. And so that's why over a couple times, like do not let your hearts be troubled. It will feel bad, but Jesus Christ has sent his spirit so that we are not orphans. Mm -hmm. And so love one another. Let not your hearts be troubled. Um, That's chapter 14 is, again, worth memorizing. Mm -hmm. Chapter 15, 16. But uh, just know that God has not left you. Jesus has not left you. And that's why he says, um, ask anything in my name. And really ask to be saved. Ask to be forgiven. Ask for help because he longs to help you and to be with you, and he's made a way to be with you right now through his spirit, by the power of his word. Amen. Amen. Today I'm going to read Psalm chapter 66, verses 13 through 20. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered, and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals, with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.